Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show. We've got a great show planned for you. And as always, a lot of these topics come from you all. Dropping in those DMs, emailing us, letting us know what you want to hear about, what you want us to talk about. As I always say, you put those DMs in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. That's all the questions you got that you want me to answer, as well as topics you want me to hit, circle back and drop deeper into. And that is where tonight's topic comes from. We're gonna be talking about a whole bunch of stuff. One of them though, is I wanna talk about asexuality. That's right, we're gonna be talking about all the diverse ways that people can be relational, gendered, and sexual. Now, we're gonna go back a little bit. There was a time in my career, <laughs> this is actually two decades ago, where we used to think, or we assumed, that everyone was quote-unquote sexual. And uh, when people started identifying as asexual, it was seen, believe it or not, within the field of human sexuality, sexology, and psychology as um, a pathology. Something must be wrong. Everyone's sexual. If you're not, what's the problem? It's a disorder. Let's fix it. Is it a testosterone issue? Is it a fear of intimacy? Is it a trauma response? What's going on? And then we started to do the work and you know that's well before i even get into the specifics let me just remind you that psychology has quite a dark history we used to pathologize and and see as a disorder um same sex detraction hypersexuality uh we still do a lot of shaming and pathologizing in my in my field but we've started to now normalize that there's different ways to be sexual we are finally normalizing uh being trans and non-binary and gender fluid and we've really legitimize things like asexuality, polyamory, and uh, really letting the field catch up to where people are. We shouldn't be squeezing individuals and their health into these outdated models. And so I'm thankful that we're finally catching up. So we're going to talk about a few different processes that exist for everyone. And it's very specific. And you know the importance of labels and concepts and structures is that it gives people language, it gives people identity, it legitimizes their existence, it also helps them find and connect to a community so they feel real, they feel seen, they feel understood, they know how to explain themselves, they know how to be understood, they can connect to other people like them, they can work on confidence building, really important stuff. And that's why when people say, oh, LGBTQIA+, there's so many letters, what a gigantic acronym, how big is it gonna get? It's gonna get as big as it needs to get. Because again, it's all about recognition and inclusion. Uh, a lot of people don't understand because maybe they very much occupy majority, majority-driven, privileged identities. It's really hard to understand what it's like to live in a body, in a gender, in a sexuality, in a relational orientation. 
that isn't seen as healthy or correct or normal. Because as I say on the show all the time, any element of us that we have shame or guilt around, we are not going to be able to move through the world with our full sense of worth and confidence. And our sense of identity with gender and relationship and sexuality is a core part of who we are. And so there's so much important work that needs to be done around that. And I love being a part of everyone's journey within and around that. So that's what we're going to be really talking about tonight is normalizing all of that, educating ourselves and uh, kind of ripping all those normative binaries apart because we love a good binary. Oh, you're either gay or straight. That's it. You're either monogamous. Well, actually, it wouldn't be monogamous. It's more like you are primarily partnered with someone or you're just friends. That's it. And, and, and so much lives in between those two poles. And that's what mental health is really about. Authentically and in a liberated way, being yourself and moving through the world as yourself and having worth and value reflected back at you as you move through the world as yourself. And um, hey, parents, it starts at home. You know, you are raising a child and you don't know what your child's gender is. Even though we do gender reveal parties, that's your guess based on their genitalia. But you don't know their gender is until they tell you. That might be their quote unquote sex. Slap that on a um, birth certificate, but you don't know their gender until they tell you. You don't know how they want to best express themselves. You definitely don't know your child's sexual orientation and you don't know their relational orientation. And we're going to talk about what those things mean, but hold space. You don't know who your child's going to be and you don't want to be your child's first bully. You don't want to be your child's first oppressor. And so it's important to talk to our children about all the vast and diverse and creative, beautiful ways that people exist in the world. Introduce them, talk about, acknowledge. I love the wealth of books, characters in television, celebrities coming out in these ways. Embrace it. You might be anxious. It might be foreign and unknown to you. Embrace it. Do the work to be able to understand the value of it. Even if you don't have that child, even if you don't have that friend, you will and they will encounter them in the world. But it starts at home and then it starts in our social groups. You don't know if your friend might be all of these different things that we're going to talk about tonight, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And some people themselves are like, whoa, wait a minute, that's me. I didn't even know that I was that until I heard about it, found out about someone else, and it normalizes. And it gives us language to explain ourselves. So whew, we're going to talk about all that, the beautiful, creative ways that we move through the world. Um, and as I said, if you got a topic for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page, questions, topics, things you want us to hit, circle back, drop deeper into. That's where you put all that good stuff. Past episodes of the show, because um, you want to go back and re-listen, unlearn, because we got a lot to relearn. That happens over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline, and click on it. You can binge, post, re-listen, and share. Take me on a drive. Take me on a hike. Take me on a walk. Lay on the ground. Sit in the tub, wherever you need to go, and just listen. Take it all in. Um, I'm so thankful for podcasting, because... Not everyone's available in real time and you can go back and like I said, re-listen and really absorb and take it with you. So take advantage of that. That's over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline and click on it. It's all there. Otherwise, y'all just got to stick around. We'll be back. You're listening to Love Live with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, y'all, we are back and uh, talking about all the different beautiful, creative, diverse ways that people move through the world. Let's start by talking about sexuality. There is more to us than just the binary of gay or straight or gay straight, or maybe you're bi and you like both. Let's unpack all that. And then we're going to talk about some of the lesser known forms, sexual, demisexual, asexual, such beautiful stuff, um, all healthy. Animal kingdom, they got no problem with all this. The plant kingdom, yep, fish, they change genders, same-sexed orientation, um, you know, male-gendered, uh, having sex with themselves and birthing babies. What? Men giving birth? Yep, that's right. They make sex toys. It's quite profound when you look at how sex-positive, body-positive, and diverse the plant, animal, and fish kingdoms are. Um, and we'll talk more about that on some show. I, I, I did a few segments a long time ago, really talking about how diverse it all is. So that's what nat- that's what's natural. Natural is not what we're doing. And... Remember, let's just start with bisexuality for, for a second. Bisexual doesn't mean 50-50. Bisexual could be 70% men you're interested in sexually, 30% women. It could be 90-10. doesn't matter. But more importantly, now some, now some people are non-identified and they're saying, yeah, these terms don't really speak to who I am. Some people say pansexual, which is generally more inclusive, meaning I like cis and transgendered individuals, um, trans and cis men and or trans and cis women. It's really a beautiful time and people are finally exploring and saying, yeah, let me, let me, have, let me have some time with the same and the opposite gender and really kind of keep my options open and, and see what I'm driven towards. What a beautiful thing, you know? I, I love that. Um, not in my lifetime when I was a teenager was that really so supported and we didn't have those those terms. We didn't have pansexual. Um, people, we still have a lot of biphobia, which is like so shocking at this time in, in culture. And um, so I'm so thankful that we're kind of breaking down those barriers. So we're gonna talk about a lot of different spectrums, um, but spectrums can still be something that maintains the binary. And so see everything I'm talking about if we can as more of a constellation, meaning that there's so much around and within all these different terms we're gonna use that they're not even solid or stable terms. Because even within the concept of hetero, there's people that are like, you know, they like the opposite gender, so they identify as hetero, but maybe there's a little flexibility to that. So then we have words like heteroflexible, which is kind of part of a branch off of that word hetero. We're already starting to build a constellation. And then the same thing with people that maybe identify as gay, there might be times where they've moved back and forth. So much to that, so much beauty. Um, So what do I want to say? I want to say that there's the um, spectrum or constellation that's rooted in the gender that you're attracted to. But then there's also a spectrum or constellation that exists in terms of being sexual or not sexual. Um, there are people that are sexual and then there's people that are maybe asexual without sexuality. That's what the, uh, prefix a is to imply without, 
Um, so not everyone is sexual. However, someone might identify as asexual, meaning they don't necessarily have sexual desire, but asexuals will still often, or at times, or in certain contexts, or with certain partners, still participate in sexuality. People are like, well, whoa, and it's like, yeah, because again, remember, there's so much beautiful complexity in all these terms. So someone might identify as asexual, but say, hey, nonetheless, just because I might not actually have, I might not um, on my own, have sexual desire, sexual interest, that doesn't mean I'm sex repulsed. That doesn't mean that I am avoidant or unwilling. Some people that are asexual, again, on their own wouldn't necessarily seek sexuality, but with a partner who is sexual, they might be like, sure, I'll be willing to do that for you or with you. I don't have a repulsion to it. I'm not turned off or opposed to it. It's just not something I'm naturally driven towards or inherently driven towards, I should say. And so they'll do it for a partner. They'll do it because it feels good sometimes because there's a release. Think about it. For those that are like, well, that doesn't make sense. Think about the things that you might not on your own be interested in doing, but because someone you care about says, let's go see that horror movie or that baseball game, you're like, okay, I'll do it with and for them. And I'll find value in being there with and for them. But on your own, you might not necessarily seek that out. So within the asexual community, there's some people that are more open and flexible. And then there's some people that are more sex repulsed, which is something that where they're like, you know what, that isn't something I'm actually ever interested in participating in. Because just to make it all more complex and beautiful, within within this uh, constellation, some people, you know, their sexual attraction is what you feel, and then sexual behavior is what you choose to do, and those can be separate. You might do things that you don't actually uh, inherently feel drawn towards, but you have a willingness to do. So that's in there. So really sit with that. There's desire versus repulsion, and that's built in there. I love that. And then it gets even more dynamic. Because we have to also talk about the fact that sexuality is sometimes and often aligned or separate from romance. So ready for this zinger? You might be, let's say, pansexual, which means sexually you are open to any gender expression to have sex with. However, romantically, meaning more relationally, you might only be hetero. So you can be pansexual, but heteroromantic which means romantically, I tend to partner and couple up with the opposite gender, but sexually, I'm down for sex with anyone. That's shocking to some people. And that actually, for others, is very healing and clarifying. Wow, they'll say, that's why I'm only interested in maybe dating same-sexed people because I'm homo-romantic. But sexually, they might say, I'm open to opposite and same-sex. So maybe I'm bisexual, or pansexual, open, but romantic, homoromantic. I want partnership and romance with the same gender. Or heteroromantic. I want partnership or romance with the opposite gender, even though there's no such thing as an opposite gender. They're not opposites. They're just differences, but that's the common language. So I'll use it, but know that it's not an opposite. There's a lot of similarities between two quote-unquote hetero people. I'm sorry, there's a lot of differences between two hetero people and sometimes more similarity between someone hetero and homo. So they're not opposites. They're just differences. But there's a different track between sexual and romantic, and that's very healing and clarifying for some people. For most people, it's aligned. The gender that they're interested in having sex with is often also the gender that they want to date or be romantic with. And so they don't really understand that separation or really need that languaging. But for others, it's very powerful. And again, I, I want you to just marvel in the beautiful complexity of it all. You don't have to like get all this down. We're going to come back and talk more about it. Stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we're back talking about the beautiful creativity and diversity that exists within our sexual selves 
our romantic selves. So you don't have to sit with and understand all this. And for some people, it's very meaningful. It's healing. It gives them a label. They can build community. They can find resources. They can explain themselves to others. So again, there is what we are sexually attracted to, sexual attraction. There's the sexual behavior we engage in, which can be different from our sexual attraction because maybe you're asexual, not necessarily attracted to or interested in sex. However, you might engage in it behaviorally anyway because of the partner you're with or because sometimes you enjoy the release, et cetera, et cetera. So some people are sexual, some people are asexual, and a lot of people exist within and around that. And we'll talk about what some of those uh, labels might look like. But then we were also talking about the fact that just because you're interested in dating one gender doesn't mean you're interested in having sex with that gender. And the inverse is true as well. You might be interested in having sex with multiple genders, but that doesn't mean you're willing to be romantic or relational with them. So again, you might be homo romantic, meaning you'll date and have romance with someone of the same gender, but you might be more bi or pansexual, meaning it's wider in terms of what you'll sexually be interested in and engage. Those aren't always the same thing. And you'll see that sometimes where people want the privileges of heterosexuality or that's what they want relationally and romantically and that's what they do. However, sexually, for fun, for joy, for excitement, for exploration, whatever it is, they might be more open. At their core, there's a lot of reasons why these things happen. So that's in there as well. So then when we get back to the idea that, okay, so wait a second. (laughs) Some people are sexual. Some people are asexual. What else is there? Well, there's a lot. There's demisexual, which is people who require more intimacy and relationality and getting to know someone before sexuality comes online and they're interested in that. So that would be someone who isn't really driven towards or comfortable or interested in maybe hookup culture or having sex too soon. They, again, need to build more of a relational, um, intimate uh, a, a, a configuration or setup with someone before sexuality and sexual desire come online. That's demisexual. And then there's things like fray sexual, which is the opposite of that, which means they are very sexual in the beginning. This would be someone who, when they first start dating, there's a lot of sexuality, a lot of sexual desire. But as the relationship progresses and more intimacy and closeness is built, their sexual desire decreases and maybe at some point is completely gone and eliminated. That's fray sexual. And that's the kind of person who does best in either um, casual relationships or non-monogamous styles because monogamy is not going to work for them because sexuality is online in the beginning, but towards the end, they're no longer interested as relationality builds and they might want to be able to have sex with others. So they do better in open styles because again, monogamy is not for everyone. Monogamy is not right for everyone. And some people aren't built for it and they shouldn't try. If you are constantly failing at monogamy, ask yourself that. Is it because it isn't my true relational style? Is it because it's difficult for me and I'm more fray sexual where sexuality falls offline once I'm deeper into a relationship and I shouldn't be doing this? But then there's a multitude of other reasons as well that maybe you do have intimacy issues. Maybe you are just a jerk. I mean, there's a lot of reasons as to why these things happen. So it really requires a lot of honest exploration. And as always, if you wanna get deeper into this, see a certified sex therapist they would be the only individuals that are really trained in all of this work. So do see a CST, a certified sex therapist like myself. Um, So that's all, bam, that's all built in there. And some people are like, whoa, this is so much. And it's like, I know, this is the beautiful world we live in. Let's find wonder in that. Let's not be overwhelmed or frustrated by that because some people are. Um, So 
hopefully this normalizes and depathologizes some of this because some people come into my practice saying something must be wrong. Me and my partner aren't having sex anymore. And it's not as simple as let's just get sex back online. It might be an issue of them being phrase sexual, them being asexual, and they're just not sex repulsed. There may be sex favorable, which means they're willing or sex indifferent, meaning they're neutral. So they're cool with it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things to unpack, but a lot of us don't understand these concepts are languaging. And so some people sadly leave a marriage that they didn't need to if they better understood this knew how to work with it or they're personalizing and thinking something's wrong and their partner doesn't love them or isn't attracted to them anymore or others think that there's something wrong with them and they're saying is there something wrong with my testosterone it's a hormonal thing and it's like no but the problem is sexuality is never valued sexuality isn't even taken very seriously legitimately in academia it is under research underfunded, under-acknowledged. And so these concepts aren't given a lot of validity and that's unfortunate. Because when I try to talk to some people about this and I say, listen, you might not be honestly or accurately understanding your true sexuality, your true romantic orientation, and that might be the problem. Um, not everyone's built for monogamy. Not everyone is built to be in romantic relationships with the, with all the genders they'll have sex with. Not everyone can be expected to be sexual through the duration of their relationship. And that's where all these concepts come in. Um, so again, this is meant to educate. This is meant to empower. This is meant to clarify. This is meant to help build a community and resources. So use this as something to enhance. Use this as something to create more conversation. Use this as a way to be better known by yourself, for yourself, but also by others and your partners. Um, so I know that was a lot in there. I know I packed that all in, dropped a lot of different concepts. We'll talk more about it. And as always, if you want to go back and re-listen, you can go to we are channelq.com. Scroll down for Love Line and click on it. Binge, post, re listen, and share. Lots of good stuff over there. And DMs on our Love Line IG page. That's where we put any questions or topics you want us to hit. Circle back, drop deeper into. Otherwise, y'all, stick around. We got the DMs to come. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we are back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, what do we got here? This one says, hey, Dr. Chris and Loveline, I think I've stumped my therapist with this question. Uh-oh. So I thought I would give DM Loveline, I thought I would DM Loveline, I guess, because you put all your questions, topics, things you want to have answered or hit in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. So, uh, and see if you would answer it on the show. How vulnerable is too vulnerable? I actually really like this question. And why? What is your criteria? Where does the strength of vulnerability become weakness? How to find balance between pushing yourself and staying safe and protecting yourself? This is a super, super smart and important question. So let me start kind of broad. I think I always do that. Uh, so uh, many, 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 many years ago, I was a clinical director and also running some programs at an inpatient drug and alcohol. It was a dual diagnosis center. So people that are struggling with drug and alcohol and addiction issues, mental health issues, um, a lot of really important learning that happens at facilities like that. Very difficult, hard work. So shout out to everyone doing that work. Um, and, and I would talk to them about boundaries because a lot of people, uh, well, most of us are raised in a culture where we don't know what they are. And often they're too firm because um, 
our parents might have been or around people that don't really understand vulnerability or due to chaotic abusive dynamics. So we set up really solid, firm boundaries because we don't really let people, we don't want to let people in because we were trained to not feel safe. Maybe we were around a lot of boundaryless people. So there's also something really important about understanding what kind of family or social world might you have been raised in. And that's a way to kind of assess, well, again, if I was raised with a family that had no boundaries, maybe I also maybe don't have any, or if my family was chaotic or boundaryless, I might have firmer boundaries. Um, anyway, not to ramble. So what I would do when I was running, working at the treatment center is I would draw a circle and then I would draw a circle inside of it. And I'd say, listen, this outer circle, this is the level of vulnerability and intimacy that we bring people to when they're getting to know us before they have demonstrated to us that they are safe, that we can trust them. And that outer circle is things like, oh, you know, I like Game of Thrones. This is obviously not me talking because that's not my show, but let's go with it. I like Game of Thrones. I love top 40 songs, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's the stuff we just kind of, you know, pleasantries. We're slowly getting to know someone. That doesn't mean we don't want depth. That doesn't mean we can't handle depth. That doesn't mean we don't want intimacy, but we take our time. And again, we let people work their way in and earn it. We don't just bring people into the next circle, which is the closer, more personal things. That is what I want to do with my life, you know, what kinds of things I philosophize about, some maybe the struggles I have, some family dynamics. Again, people earn their way in. We don't want to just bring people in all the way because then we're demonstrating to them we're boundaryless. And then inside that circle are the things that are very personal and very private. And people have to very much prove that they want to be a part of our lives and that they're mature enough and safe enough to be brought into that circle. The example I gave at the treatment center was you don't on a first date need to be bring people into your second or third circle, which would include I'm in recovery. Here's what my addiction history was like. This might be trauma I incurred. Um, that's that's private. And I know in 12-step programs and in other circles, we, we, we openly discuss that. But in the wider world, <clears throat> we don't bring people right to that point. Also, people don't know us well enough to maybe deal with some of that more personal triggering um, stuff. So think about that. Think about it like that. Um, <clears throat> so that's how I, de I generally explain vulnerability and um, how we make sure that it's not used against us or against them. Um, because healthy people are assessing boundaries. Healthy, healthy people are assessing what happens when I tell you no, what happens when I disappoint you, what happens when I let you down, what happens when I express a need? Because that's another one I throw out there to people. When you express a need to someone, how they respond to that and how they respond to you disappointing them and setting a boundary really reflects back how healthy they are. And so we really want to take that into um, our criteria. So you said, where does the strength of vulnerability become a weakness when we move people in too quickly and we expect them to be able to handle, tolerate, understand, or deal with really triggering private, important information. And the balance between pushing yourself and staying safe is again, we let them earn their way in while also being willing to meet them where they're at and, 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 and meet them at a level of appropriateness and really start to share things that make us a little anxious. So it's a very complicated thing and I think it's very contextual and I think it's also dependent upon what your work is as a person. Some people, their work is to have stronger boundaries. Other people, their work is to have more flexible, um, bendable boundaries. So you have to kind of self-identify and then try to practice that in the wider world. But I love questions like that. I've got a question for us. Drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Questions, topics, things you want us to hit. Circle back, drop deeper into. We are channelq.com is where you want to go to check out past episodes of this show. Scroll down, look for Loveline, click on it, binge post, re-listen and share. We'll be back, y'all. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. 
Oh, Rachel, we are back and we're completely switching gears and we're talking about emotional maturity. Now, topics like these can be very threatening to some people because they're like, Ugh, I don't want to feel called out. Well, you know what? As I say on the show all the time, we start first by looking at and examining ourselves before we point the finger. So emotional maturity. Yeah, I want us all to ask ourselves, how emotionally mature am I and what is the work? I think every human being needs to do that. If you're a parent, dear God in heaven, please work on and assess your emotional maturity. If you're going to be a friend to someone, please stop, assess, and work on your emotional maturity. If you're going to be a primary partner to someone, please do the work because we impact each other. Um, whew, there's so much to this. I spend a lot of time week after week with some individuals really building this in and working on this. We do not learn this at home, sadly, in a lot of our families. You'll see that as evidenced by parents having meltdown and parents name calling and parents attacking and slamming and throwing things. I'm not saying parenting isn't hard, but if you don't even know how to regulate yourselves, well then I know your kid can't because if you can't, how the heck are you you know, modeling it for them or teaching it to them? Then we see it in our, in our teen years. You know, your friends are all maybe possibly dysregulated and so they normalize that. You're definitely not learning it from them. It's like you're doing what, the, what your friends are doing. You know, it might be cool to do certain things or not. Then we move into our adult relationships and maybe with a partner who has maturity and we catch up to them because they hold the bar high for us, bam, or the opposite. The bar's low for them, we let it drop the bar for us. We're only as healthy as the people we spend time around. So if you feel called out, if you're looking around, you're like, oh, my partner's unhealthy, my friends are unhealthy, well, so are you because you're influenced by them and that's the people you're choosing to spend time around. You haven't opted for better or tried to hold the bar higher for everyone. Even when I talk about things like body positivity or body neutrality, things like saying to your friends, hey, let's be that group of friends that doesn't talk negatively about our bodies or ourselves. Let's be the group of friends that doesn't put each other down or gossip. Let's be a healthy group of friends that's always supporting and rallying and celebrating each other. Like that would be the emotional maturity. That would also emotional maturity be parents saying, you know what, let's do our work so that we don't traumatize our kids. Let's do our work so that we train our children by modeling it for them how to be healthy adults. Emotional maturity would be two adult partners in a romantic relationship saying, let's actually be the two people in each other's lives that never talk poorly of each other. We always have each other's back. We never name call, we don't put them down because the world's hard enough as it is. Let me be a resource for love, care, and support. That would be emotional maturity in all the different relationships you're part of. Don't support other people's bad behavior. Be the friend that says, that's actually not cool. Be the friend that says, that's actually not nice to do. Be the friend that says, I know your feelings are hurt, but we don't act like that or do that to each other or to other people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What if we were that kind of culture? And there's a lot of people doing that work, but most people aren't. And so emotional maturity is very important and emotional maturity is often lacking. Because people let themselves off the hook by saying, I was tired. I don't care. Be better. Or they broke up with me. My feelings were hurt. I don't care. Be better. Well, they, they let me down and disappointed me. So it doesn't count. Yes, it does. It always counts. Because as I say with my patients, I'm editing out whoever did or said what. And I'm just looking at a videotape of what you did and what you said. And I'm holding you accountable to that. And that dictates and tells me about your mental health and where the work is. It doesn't matter what someone just said or did. Emotional maturity means you are living from your values, from your ethics, and from your integrity, Integrity, regardless of what was said and what was done to you. And you are always working on and considering the impact you're having on others, and you're focused on your regulation. It's the important stuff I do in marital and couples work. It's also the important stuff we do in parenting and family dynamics work. It's also the stuff we do within just individual therapy. We all could benefit from this work and this topic. So do the deep, courageous, 
assessment on yourself and say, where within this topic am I? Where is my work? Because you are in multitude of different relationships and you're impacting all of them and they're impacting you. And you might realize I gotta change some of these relationships because they're gonna be a negative influence on me quicker than I'm gonna be a positive influence on them. But if you can be a positive influence, go be it. Change it, change that system. Systems, which means relationships, relationships are systems, all different relationships, they can all be changed if one person is like, I'm holding the bar higher for myself and for everyone else, we're gonna be better. Have healthy people around you, but Again, be a part of that change. So that's what we're gonna talk about. Um, and this is just something that can completely shift an entire family system, a friend social circle or network, and of course, romantic systems. So what we're gonna do is um, when we come back, we'll talk about what, what are the signs of emotional maturity, therefore presenting the plan, the vision, what we're working towards. Here's what it's supposed to look like. And then you can determine, I do that, I don't do that, but you'll at least know what you're working towards. And then we'll come back and talk about how do you get there? Like we're gonna paint the vision, here's, here's where we're trying to get on the map, and then we're gonna talk about, but what are the tools or the vehicles to get to that location? And we're doing, as I said, a very vulnerable, courageous self-assessment before we go pointing the finger at all those around us, because until we've done our work, we can't assess what the work is for others because they're part of a system that is on the receiving end of what we're inputting and what we're doing. Can't look at your children's regulation or maturity until you've worked on yours because they're impacted by what you're doing or not doing. And you improving and, and raising your level of functioning inherently will change theirs as well. That's the beauty of all this. That's the beauty of systems. One element has changed, the whole system's reorganized, thankfully when it's towards a positive direction, not thankfully when it's towards a negative. So stick around, we'll be back, we're gonna talk about that. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey, y'all. Stick around, we'll be right back. All right, we're back and we're talking about emotional maturity, dun, dun, dun. I know it's scary stuff because, well, gotta look at ourselves and I think it's important because we're all in different relationships and we're impacting everyone, they're impacting us. Let's know what it is we're supposed to be working on. So uh, these are the signs of being emotionally mature. Assess, this is gonna help us look at what we're working towards. Uh, you can say, hey, I do that, or oh, I don't, I should be. This is the vision. And then uh, after we go through all that, uh, we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about what can we do in our day-to-day -day lives to try to kind of work closer to this. But let's first talk about the signs. Um, Okay, so there's this really difficult thing for us to apply in our culture, and it's very important, and it's the idea that we don't wanna have what we call mood-dependent behavior. Your behavior should not be driven by or dependent on your mood, but that's how everyone's it. That's how it goes for most people. I'm angry, I'm gonna act angry. I'm gonna throw something, say something, hit something, slam something. But wait a second, you can feel something and have your behavior not linked to what you're feeling. What? Yes, that's right. You can be angry and still not act from your anger. That is a sign of being mature, where you say, okay, the person in front of me who I'm angry at is someone I care about and I love, so I'm not going to just unleash on them. But wait a second, Dr. Chris, aren't I allowed to feel all my, all my feelings? Aren't all my feelings legitimate? No. First off, yes, you can feel all your feelings. I want everyone to feel all their feelings, all of them, and very deeply, but that doesn't mean we act them out. 
And no, they're not always necessarily quote unquote legitimate. I, I'm always very careful about that caveat. Sometimes they're kind of inappropriate. Sometimes they're a little catastrophized and dramatized for this based on what's going on. So they're not always legitimate. Let's not get hung up on that part, but let's go for the fact that I want you to feel all of them, feel all of them deeply. So your feelings are valid, but your behavior and actions often aren't. And those are two separate things. Yes, we can be angry, but not express and create harm. So what does that mean? It means we make room and allow and feel whatever's going on, depression, sadness, happiness, anxiety, but we act and live from a different part of ourselves, our integrity, our value system. That is part of emotional maturity. Also taking responsibility for your emotions. No one can make you angry. No one is responsible for your triggers. You are responsible for knowing yourself. You are responsible for understanding your triggers and healing and resolving them. We can feel whatever we feel, but no one can make us act those feelings out. That is a choice we make and we have to take control and harness that choice. There is a space between what you feel and what you do. We wanna widen that space. And within that space is this thing called choices. Choices where you think about what do I wanna do with and about this feeling? You need to expand that space and that gap between what you feel and what you do. That is emotional maturity. What else is? Well, caring about the impact you have on other people. It's never just about you. Everyone's feelings are as meaningful and as legitimate. We do, as healthy people, want to care about how the expression of our emotions impacts those around us. You are responsible for the other people. Yes, you are. It's not just about keeping your side of the street clean. We are responsible for the impact we have on the entire neighborhood, the entire household. Yes, that matters. That is emotional maturity. Empathy. In our field, we also call it mentalizing, understanding that the other person has their own experience and trying to understand and relate to that. How might they feel? What, what might they be thinking? What might they need? We have to care and take an interest in other people's feelings and needs. Otherwise, we are being narcissistic, self-centered, and maybe even sociopathic. Sociopathy is not caring about how you impact others, and narcissism is only caring about and prioritizing yourself and your needs. We don't want to be those things because then we're not safe for people to be around. We're not safe or mature enough to be in relationship with others of any kind. So if you're realizing if I'm angry or I'm sad or whatever emotion I'm feeling, my behavior immediately is a reaction from and to that, you are not emotionally mature and you're not safe to be around. Your child's not safe around you. Your friends aren't safe around you. Your partner's not safe around you. Do that work. Letting there be more space between what you feel and then what you choose to do about that so that you have all these choices. Also, again, emotional maturity is understanding how you impact others and caring. Let's go even deeper. Let's make it harder. You know, it also is a big part of emotional maturity and also makes it safe for people to be in a relationship of any kind with you is your openness to receiving feedback to what it's like to be in relationship with you. We have to be able to say to our friends, our loved ones, our family members, hey, being your, your son, being your best friend, being your husband is hard sometimes and here's why. And all you do is sit there and say, thank you for caring enough about me and about us that you want this to be able to maintain. And thank you for telling me how I impact you. Thank you for telling me what it's like to be in relationship to me. We need to be open to hearing that. Every time a friend, a loved one comes to me and says, hey, you hurt my feelings the other day. Hey, you let me down. Hey, you've not been showing up. I say, thank you for caring enough to tell me. Of course, I want to know these things. I want to be kept in your life. And here's how I demonstrate that I'm safe to be kept around by hearing you, by thinking about whether or not what you're saying is legitimate and how can I improve on that? Yeah, I know that's a hard one. We shouldn't be causing harm. That's the next one. We kind of hit that. 
your feelings are legit, your actions and expressions might not be. Don't cause harm. That's how we, we build that self-awareness. And that's kind of the main points of emotional maturity. Feeling them, not harming others with them, not always acting them out, but acknowledging them, making room for them. And then as I always say, right-sizing them, which is the regulatory part, which is saying on a scale of zero to 10, what is the appropriate expression based on the severity of what happened? Five and above is for violence and, and abuse. Most things in our life are zero to five, which means we're disappointed, we're frustrated, we're let down, and should be on a, it should be a two or three in our response, lower level. And we all know there's people in our lives that aren't very emotionally mature because everything's a 10, everything's anger. They don't care if they harm others. They, in fact, are harming others. If they feel something, they act it out immediately, and it's scary to be around them. And sometimes we have to release them into the world. Don't be that person. Don't constantly be losing people, you know? If that's what's happening all the time, you might have work to do. Um, when we come back, we'll talk about, though, how then do we really work on this? Because that's what we're working towards. That's the goal. We're going to talk a little bit about how we get there, um, the tools. And then we'll be doing some DMs. So if you got a question for us or a topic you want us to hit, circle back, drop deeper into it, put on the DMs in our Loveline IG page. Otherwise, stick around. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Loveline. I'm Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. All right, we're back and uh, finishing up our discussion on emotional maturity. Now, of course, this is important because this is mental health. This is how we impact others, how others impact us. And excuse me, we were talking earlier in the show about what is the vision? How do we know whether or not we have emotional maturity and where the work is? And a lot of it really has to do with your relationship to your own emotions, feeling them, feeling all of them, feeling all of them deeply. But that doesn't mean we act them out. All of our emotions generally have a lot of validity and legitimacy. However, our responses, our reactions to it often don't. Our expression should never cause harm. So emotional maturity is about being aware of your emotions, understand that you can feel one way and yet live and act and relate to others another way. Yes, they can be two separate processes. A lot of people don't understand that. We take, we take responsibility for what we're doing with how we feel. We're tracking our thinking, we're paying attention to our responses and behaviors, understanding how we impact others, understand that others have their own emotional experience and everyone's needs and everyone's emotions are just as legitimate as everyone else's. Sometimes we like to think that ours are more important, but how we take them and impact others are just as equally as important. And that's one of the things I teach individuals in my practice is considering what might their experience be. And that's as important as yours. Just because you're upset first or more upset doesn't mean that your feelings are more valid or more correct. So what's the work? Um, it's not easy because we wanna be thoughtful about what others around us are normalizing and what they're supporting. We also have to track ourselves and you have to kind of identify those moments where, wait a second, I have to do something different here. It's when earlier I was talking about how there's a space between what we feel and what we do and we have to widen that space because in that space is where choices exist. Yeah, so that's the tracking. We have to be aware of those moments where this is required and we need to apply it. And then we have to do it and we have to say, how do I wanna be and who do I wanna be in this moment? And then we have to look back and say, how was that? How can I be different next time? We are willing to work on so many things in our lives. We will put hours into renovating our home. We will put hours into our body at the gym. We will put hours into our art practice, into reading a book into something else athletic, but then people's minds are blown when I say to them, yeah, you have to do the same things with your emotional and psychological muscles as well. 
they require just as much time and attention, more so because that is what determines your relational health, your self-confidence, the health of your relationships. It should matter more. So you have to track yourself every day. It's a daily practice. What am I working on? How did that go? How can I be better? Journaling. Journaling so as to build that self-awareness at the beginning of the day. What am I working on today? At the end of the day, how did that go? What do I need to improve? Again, having people around you that expect the best, demand the best, and hold the bar high for themselves and also for you. Maybe doing some reading and learning about emotions, emotional maturity, more importantly, self-regulation and emotional management. Getting into therapy. Listening to mental health podcasts. That's what the work is about. We have to build the world around us that supports the work we're doing, the kind of person we want to be, because that's how we got into this problem in the first place, by not having that, or by having the wrong people and influences around us. So this is all about reorganizing and restructuring. So it takes time. And it is work that everyone can do, but we have to know that the work is necessary and when it is that we need to do it, and also what it looks like. Because again, sadly, a lot of us were raised in families where our parents didn't have this knowledge or skill set. So of course, it wasn't modeled for us, transmitted to us. And we want to be the people that stop the social transmission of this, this not being taken forward, the intergenerational transmission of this, this not being taken forward within our family. Because when I was looking at other definitions, uh, the American Psychological Association, the APA, I liked theirs. They defined emotional maturity as a high and appropriate level of emotional control and expression. So again, as I say all the time, I want us to feel all of our emotions and to feel them deeply, but we have control over them. We have control over their expression. We also do self-regulation. We work with them. A lot of people feel so out of control around their emotions and feel just chaotic and driven by them. And that's where the work has to come. We have to learn how to control them, even though we're allowing it internally. And then we're working with their expression. Um, another definition is the tendency to express emotions with restraint and appropriate to the situation, which is when I always use the word right sizing based on the severity of what's going on around you or what happened, what's the appropriate response on zero to 10. And like I point out all the time most of us are zero to five, disappointed, frustrated, let down. That's a lower level response five and above always for abuse and violence and injustice. Um, I also like this, this uh, definition. Emotional maturity is about admitting when you're wrong, taking accountability, asking for help. But see, this also comes down to when we talk about things like not living in burnout and self-care so that you have the ability to be aware of yourself. You're kind of eliminating or mitigating and minimizing these stressors and triggers around you so as to be better able to do this work. Because this is needing to be done sometimes while there's a lot of other intersecting levels of stress which amplify or burn us out. And regulation requires energy. That's why at the end of the day, it's hardest to do this. We're tired. Our resources are low. We are not as resilient or robust. We've given our energy to everything that came before. And that's why it's hardest at night, at the end of the day, at the end of the week, to really be aware of ourselves yet that is when it's most needed. All right, we're going to come back, do some DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Don't go anywhere, y'all, because we will be right back. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Oh, Rachel, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, Hey, Dr. Chris. I'm in a bit of a tough situation. I've been dating my boyfriend for six months. He made it very clear at the beginning that he was looking for a long-term partner, someone to marry. Okay. Things moved real quick. He asked me to be his girlfriend two months into talking and dating. Fast forward, our honeymoon phase does not feel like a honeymoon phase. (laughs) He's very busy with work. Said he doesn't like texting. The tension and excitement definitely has died down. We're also having issues with intimacy. See... So that's my point that I've made in the past. We should date for a while to see if we're compatible. If let me say it different, sorry, we should date for a while to see if we have enough chemistry and compatibility to, to, to have a relationship. But some people jump right into the relationship having not dated, which is when we explore if we should have a relationship. Dating should take time more than two months because two months isn't enough time to go through different things with each other to really see if we're compatibility if we're compatible I don't know why I keep saying it like that if the compatibility is there and if we have chemistry you would have learned earlier on that you want more closeness and intimacy than he's able to provide because he doesn't like texting and you might have said it's okay if you don't like texting but I'm going to ask you to do it anyway because I'd like more closeness and connection we it's okay to do things we don't like to do but this dude seems like he wants it his way on his terms which is what some people think relationships are my life won't get disrupted i want to just drop you in 
as it is and not have to make it different. Well, then you're not in a relationship. You are only in a true relationship if you've been disrupted. Relationships have to be allowed to disrupt us. It can't be business as usual. Nothing changes. So these are red flags, which means they might be deal breakers. We have to give them more time or maybe you've given enough time. Let's see what the rest of your question says. You said he hasn't given me much reassurance. He left his phone and laptop unlocked for me to help him with something while he was showering. Oh, see, here we go. (laughs) All right. So he left his phone and his laptop unlocked for you while he was showering. So we already know where this is going. You said, I know this is not right on my end, (laughs) but I checked his DMs. And saw he has messages with a few other girls. Now that I've seen his messages, I can't unsee them. I know. If you're gonna be, if you're gonna check, you better be prepared to own that you checked. Because if you find information, you're gonna have to sit with it quietly. Oh, good luck. Back to your question, you said, I don't know how I should bring this up to him. We've been doing all the right things to progress our relationship. No, you're not doing all the right things. Clearly, the right things aren't happening if you felt the need to go through their phone. Remember, we're only dating people that are worthy of our trust. And if they're worthy of our trust, then we practice trusting by not going through their stuff. And if you're going through their stuff, it's either you have to work on trusting and having boundaries, or you have to call out what is ever going on in the relationship, which is making you feel like you want to go through their stuff. Because you can't always be finding out information by going through stuff. You have to create a relationship where you can talk about concerns. So your question was, how do I bring it up? By bringing it up. There is, whenever someone says, how do I? The answer is by doing it. I think what you really mean is how do I do it without being vulnerable or anxious? You can't. You did something bad. You found out information that's triggering and you're going to have to just own it. So how do you bring it up? By bringing it up. Hey, I went through your stuff. So you say to him, clearly we have an issue because either I'm not practicing trust or you're not making me feel like I can trust you. And that's why I looked. I shouldn't have looked, but so as to prevent me from feeling like I should do that again, let's talk about what's going on in the relationship. The issue isn't the DMs. The issue is why are you doing that? Why am I looking? So you got to talk. You got to tell him, I need text messages and reassurance. I need you to be monogamous if we've committed to that or tell me you don't want to. And I have to practice trusting. So you got to just bring it up vulnerably. And how he handles, manages, and responds to this should actually determine whether or not y'all stay together. He should very calmly say, let's talk about this. And should be reassuring and open to talking and repair. Anything outside of that is a huge red flag. Track it. Maybe even turns into an actual deal breaker. I don't know. But... Y'all got a lot of work to do. Um, there's something for us to all learn in that story. So uh, everyone, please take that to heart. All right, y'all, if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Questions, topics, things you want us to circle back, drop deeper into. Past episodes of the show are over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline and click on it. You can binge, post, re-listen, and share. Lots of good stuff. Check out some of the other shows while you're there. Um, but we'll be back tomorrow night. So um, join us then. But until then, focus on tens, tons of rest, pleasure, leisure, downtime, all that good stuff. Um, thanks for hanging out, though. As always, thanks for hanging out with me. Y'all enjoy the rest of your night. All right. Good night, y'all. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey. 